How are you? I'm doing okay. Yeah? Some goldfish. What kind of goldfish? Normal? Mm-hmm. Just a normal goldfish. Normal goldfish are great, but I have to admit, I really like Parmesan goldfish. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. It's Thursday, July 30th. This is issue 23. Hello, Dave. Hello, Joanna. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. Been been busy on my end of things for a lot of reasons, but you know, good, good busy. I have been less busy because it's summertime, which means I am not watching all of the television all the time, which means I've gotten further into comics. I also got an iPad, which has enabled my comics reading a lot. So I have a lot of new comics that I've been reading to talk about. Actually, I should say a lot of old comics that I've been reading that I want to talk about, uh, including Matt Fraction's Wonderful Hawkeye, which I read all of, Brian Michael Bendis's Alias, which I read all of. A killing Joke, which I promised I would read, and I did. Uh, and then Young Avengers and We Are Robin. Um, we Are Robin being the newest out of all of those that I read. Um, I will just really quickly say about We Are Robin, um, which is a really cool concept. Um, it's about a bunch of kids. You know, Batman's missing, and there are a bunch of kids who are getting mysterious directions from someone who they assume is Batman. A lot of it is tech-based, and... You know, basically the first two issues are about recruiting this new kid um, into the fold of these Robins who are going around and doing good in the city. Um, I will say the concept and the design on the kids, like the kids all wear these cool, like modern street clothes versions of, of Robin outfits. They've got cool hoodies and jackets and stuff like that. Um, the design on the kids and the concept are the best part. The story and and some of the art uh, – is not is not the greatest, but I'm I'm intrigued, but not completely sold yet. But it's only two issues, so interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all part of this sort of, um, you know, the, the Black Canary concept is is similar. Though someone on Twitter pointed out that um, Black Canary, w- which is now about you know a girl band, basically, that Black Canary sounds a lot like Spider Gwen. Having not read Spider Gwen, I can't really comment. Though I did wiki enough to see that Spider Gwen also involves a girl band, but I I can't speak with any authority whether or not those two things are similar. Yeah, but well, what I do everybody want- loves Spider Gwen, so I don't really want to talk down at her. But uh, her post debut appearances have uh, not been the revolution we've been hoping for. Um. But revolution-wise, I, I do want to I do want to applaud DC for trying to take these new angles with these old stories, um, you know, and, and that's sort of what Marvel's trying to do too by recasting a lot of their um, characters. But um, DC is sort of reimagining 
Um, what does it mean to be Robin? What does it mean to be Black Canary? What does it mean to be even be Superman? Because they're doing this depowered Superman over there. So that's all kind of interesting. Um, that seems to be an unofficial mandate is, you know, reimagine, reimagine very hard. So, um, with mixed results as, as, um, you would find anywhere. Speaking of Robin, uh, I do want to zag over to a bit of news, which is that rumor has it. Jenna Malone is not playing a, a Robin as a lot of people assumed based on her short, sassy red haircut. Um, but that she in Batman v Superman, but that she might be playing Barbara Gordon in Batman v Superman. Do you have any thoughts on this, Dave? Uh, I think it's a good move. I think the reason we're getting this sort of uh, information this week was there was the Empire magazine cover story. Right. which uh, has obviously, you know, been a lead-up magazine stories, take some time, and that story was very much written from the perspective where they were hinting that there might be a Robin, but Commissioner Gordon is definitely dead. They hint, like, that's the secret they wanted this magazine story to, like, reveal, and they were sort of unaware that the trailer was going to show us a Robin costume. So I think that that's interesting that uh, there is going to be a Gordon presence but it's sort of all uh, rolling into the current Batman v Superman PR push, which is uh, we're going to jump in and Batman's going to mostly have existed for, I don't know, 15, 20 years or something. He's like a 45-year-old Bruce Wayne, and he's the one who's uh, captured all the members of the Suicide Squad. So, you know, he's lived through the Joker to Killer Croc, and it's, uh, you know, seen it all. And lost some people, including Commissioner Gordon, and at least one Robin. So, yeah, I'd be interested to see what uh, version of Barbara Gordon shows up. And if uh, they're going to riff more on, like, a Batgirl or just skip straight to, like, an Oracle. Or if they're going to hint that they're going in one of those directions. But, it, I mean, it's a, good, it's a good character to put in to, uh, like, make somebody in the bat family accessible because a lot of our characters are going to be deceased by the time we catch up with uh, Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. It's funny. As soon as I read, you know, Jenna Malone might play Barbara Gordon. My first thought was like, wait, who's playing commissioner Gordon again? And then the answer is nobody. So, you know, in my mind, she can just be Gary Ullman's daughter uh, if I so choose. Um, So, you know, this, this is a natural swing back towards uh the killing joke which is something we we talked about earlier um you know it's still i mean there were some rumors that mark hamill was confirmed to be voicing the joker in a movie version of the killing joke which is a classic alan moore batman v joker uh graphic novel or comic i don't know how it's referred to i was surprised how short it was actually i was expecting it to be longer oh, when yeah. I read it. No, it's in, a, in and out. Yeah. Yeah. One and done. Um, and yeah. And so, you know, we want to talk about it. Um, someone I, I, I quite respect, um, Donna Dickens over on HitFix wrote, wrote an article that's gotten a lot of attention uh, called It's Time to Kill the Killing Joke. Basically voicing a lot of murmurings that I've heard from various sources about, um, you know, which I addressed, which is a lot of women seem to not like the killing joke, especially if they read it now. 
Um, and so I said I would read it so that I could tell you what this one woman here right. thinks of the killing joke here, here rather than rather waiting. woman women kind. I've been um, waiting since I heard you. I've been resisting asking you on Twitter so we didn't have to do this on Twitter and so ah. we can save it for the podcast. I, I will no say I I really well well Angie Han from Slashville asked me if she should read it and I said yes. I think people should read it. Um, you know, if anything, just to have an opinion. So I, I would never say burn this book and don't read it. I think everyone should read it. That doesn't sound like you in any situation. Yeah, well, I don't true. know how you feel about Fifty Shades of Grey, but, you know. Burn that book. Don't read it. Okay. Um, okay. So the art in The Killing Joke is incredible. Yes. Yeah, so clean. And I think that artist uh, whose name is uh, flying over my head, he only did uh, covers after that. Wow. It's just like you just have that clean style where everything is like well lit and there's no like sketchy lines. So yeah. good. You don't usually see Joker stories in that style. Anyway, sorry. Keep, keep, no, no, no. What, yes, what, the what art. The art's amazing. The Joker backstory is great. The way that sort of weaves in is really great. I don't think I get any sense of who Batman is in this comic, and that's kind of okay because you know there's plenty of time to tell Batman's story and. um this is the Joker story, right? Mm-hmm. And and Commissioner Gordon's story to a certain extent. Um, it is certainly not Barbara Gordon's story. Barbara Gordon is certainly a prop for the uh, interplay between these three men. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of the thrust of this article over on, on HitFix is about Focuses a lot on the sexual assault uh, nature, and you, I don't know. That's a, that's a debate that I think you can get really bogged down in, and and I'm not necessarily sure that it's the debate I'm interested in having. But you know, I will say that I wasn't delighted uh, uh, by the way that Barbara Gordon was was used for this story. Uh, that being said, it was a short story, so you know, uh, if this were written now, I would advocate for. Barbara, like there at least to be one female character that's not just a prop in this interplay between these three men, but, um, or, or the Joker's wife in flashback, you know? Um, but I'm glad I read it. I think it's really, it's an interesting story. Well told. And, um, I'm glad now that I understand, uh, the Red Hood, uh, you know, stuff that you were talking about when we were talking about Gotham earlier this year. So I was like, oh, oh yeah. the Red Hood stuff. Okay. Anyway. It's how sometimes it's the Joker, other times it's not the Joker. Yeah. The current uh, the current Batman run, I believe, has positioned the Red Hood as the Joker pretty solidly, if I remember uh, zero, zero year, year zero, whatever they call it uh, correctly. So that sort of thing stuck around, but it definitely showed up here. This was our first official Joker origin story. And you could see how it's, you know, affected all portrayals of the Joker going forward. You know, the Ace Chemical and the Batman sort of causes his own villain and like all of that becomes part of the batman joker mythology sort of going forward so it's like i can understand being uncomfortable with the way that barbara gordon's used in it but like killing the killing joke is excising part of like joker's comic book history and i don't think i'm ever going to be comfortable with that for something so slight that i feel like once Mm. once it does become barbara gordon's story not in this comic where she comes back as oracle i think she's treated fairly but her inciting incident yeah. here is 
about somebody else's journey. Right. So I mean, much I think... so that when she wakes up, she immediately has concern for her father. Yeah. And the book doesn't even take time to, you know, deal with any sort of aftermath because her dad's in immediate danger. Yeah, and her body's on display and all this sort of stuff. Um, the... I, I would reject the phrase slight, you know, only just because it's it's not just it's not like the killing joke is the only story that's ever done this. It's just in, it's sort of endemic. But it's like, I mean, you know, you I think I, I feel like we talked about this before and then you made it about blackface. But like, yeah. I, I think what I said before was, you know, I, I would never throw out Gone with the Wind just because there's like some really shitty racist stuff in there. Um you know, that doesn't mean I'm okay with the racist stuff, but I, I, I would never cut Gone with the Wind out of film history. Right. Um, or I mean, literary I, history, you know? I guess the, that's similar. It's just to me in the killing joke, like for how much Barbara Gordon's in it, she's treated well for the first page before she gets shot. And then after that, it, we feel the horror of what's happening because it's supposed to be horrific. And so as like a story mechanic, it's hard for me to, you know, like if a movie's about racism, it could have racist shit in it. If that makes some sort of thing. If it's about the horror that Commissioner Gordon has to go through, I'm kind of retreading. But that's the place of that character in the story, regardless of gender. I guess, um, like, I, I, I mostly agree with you. I just think that because it has a larger bearing on how women were treated in comic books for a really long time. And I say that as not at all an expert in the way that women were treated in comic books for a long time. Um, but that's my sense that, that that's why it's so upsetting to people that it's not just like, Oh, okay. This one time this character was shot so that, you know, we could tell the story about these three men. It's that for a, a long time, women, uh, feel like they weren't treated very well in comic books. You know, and that being said, there's plenty of examples to the contrary. And, and certainly, you know, I just, I read, like I said, I read Hawkeye and Alias. Um, I shouldn't have started with Hawkeye because I think Hawkeye is just a really incredible comic. Um, but having read Hawkeye and Alias, which has these great characters of Kate Bishop and Jessica Jones, um, then moving to the killing joke, I'm like, oh, okay, I can see how this is how it was and not how it is anymore. Hopefully. Yes, right? well, and also like Hawkeye takes half its series and dedicates it to Kate Bishop. Yeah, and then Alias is entirely about a female protagonist. Yeah. The Killing Joke is about the Joker. Nobody right. else is serviced, and it not is it's not intended to be. And like the Joker is a horrible, scary character that basically can't uh, live with himself. But, but also, also a tra- yeah, and also a tragic character, right? To a certain degree, yeah. So it's a uh, I the everything you feel about the comic I think you're supposed to feel and I understand that it makes people feel uncomfortable but it's just such a weird thing to be like we're done with the killing joke forever now because it's like we're not ever going to be done with the killing joke it made this version of the Joker that we're still endlessly doing and then hopefully Batman v Superman doesn't do because uh, we don't really need to know who the Joker is anymore as we're we're coming around as a media society and our Jokers we went through the Heath Ledger phase and we're okay with the anonymous origin Joker again someone um, sent me a link and I can't find it now and I feel really bad but 
Um, it was either a, bat, a recent Batgirl or Batwoman issue where they once again show the death of Bruce Wayne's parents, but it's like in the background of whatever's happening for, for Batgirl or Batwoman. Oh, oh no. Yeah. I sent that to you. It's oh, okay. uh, the DC <laughs> DC's going to do uh, a run called uh, bombshells uh, mm. of like their female characters sort of reimagined and like pinup status. And her Batgirl is has nothing to do with the animal. Uh, she's a female baseball player uh, that uh, fights. This is what I'm talking about, like with We Are Robins. Yeah. Batgirl, she's a Batgirl. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. So uh, yeah, in apparently Bombshells number one, uh, we're gonna see Batgirl uh, stop Batman from being made because she stops the robbery and Bruce Wayne's parents don't get killed. Batgirl. Hopefully, you know it keeps up throughout the whole comic but we'll see when that comes out <laughs> um to veer back to alias uh which i really liked um i did want to talk about it in the context of some news we got from netflix which is that uh we still don't have a release date for alias but we do have uh, the announcement that it will come before the end of 2015 so presumably i think looking at their schedule it makes most sense to put it in november somewhere hmm, um so that's I where I... october okay october or november um i would i would say look for um the new jessica jones which is no longer aka jessica jones just jessica jones right um still not I'm... gonna call it alias but they're getting closer <laughs> i Loved this comic. I didn't love the art, to be honest with you. But, yeah, it's a little dark. Yeah, uh, but I loved the comic a lot. This this whole series that I read, the Alias series that everyone should read. Um, you know, especially when it gets to the David Tennant Purple Man stuff, which is you know we know is going to be at least some of the focus of of the Jessica Jones series we're getting on Netflix, which is really exciting. Um, and. Yeah, I just I thought it was great. I'm really excited for Kristen Ritter. Um, I did. I was I was scrolling through her Instagram because she posted a really cute photo of her and David Tennant from the rap party from Jessica Jones, and she has one photo of her like flexing a bicep. You know, we talked about Kristen Ritter being being a very a slight girl right. and uh, or woman, and um, you know, d- it, does this make sense for Jessica Jones, et cetera, et cetera? But you know, like looking in the comic, you know, she's just crazy super powered rarely uses her superpowers if at all you know right and um i don't think we'll see any of the jewel is it in her alias yeah. name yeah i don't i don't think we'll see any jewel in the series i'd be surprised so you think they're not going to do like the purple man as flashback they're going to do the purple man as present day well they might the whole jewel from jewel to leather jacket wearing jessica jones is a huge like that's the whole thing I mean, I mean, we might see like some minor flashback things, but I'm, I'd, I'd expect them to keep it so much in the present just because it seems it would seem weird to lay in uh, Jewel just in the timeline of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Also, well, that's true. And also sort of the idea of the Defender series is, you know, that whole like gritty rooted in reality thing. So to see her like with purple hair and like a white spandex suit is not quite... Um, and to you know. see her specific power set when it's like, if that would have existed in 2008, we would not have been talking about Tony Stark being Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, that being said, you know, I got I got a a tweet from from someone just a couple minutes ago, I think, um, asking me what I thought of Carol Danvers in that uh, Carol Danvers, aka Captain Marvel, and uh, yeah, I didn't love Carol in that. 
I did really like uh, Scott Lang. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, I remember you mentioning that you were hoping Paul Rudd would show up maybe as a cameo or something like that or, or speculating that, that could happen. Uh, I think with what we saw with Evangeline Lilly's character in Ant-Man, that's very unlikely to happen. Um, right? Wouldn't you say? Now, yes. I mean, this upcoming Jessica Jones season, no, I'm not expecting to see yeah. Paul Rudd. But it's still Evangeline Lilly and Paul Rudd are at the top of my list if they want to start uh, throwing MCU stars into Netflix uh, before they bring, I don't know, anybody out to their own movie. Like right. Paul Rudd is, uh, I don't know, going to be on this weekend in Wet Hot American Summer. And true. Evangeline Lilly is closer to Lost than the Avengers. So Also true. I feel like it would work that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Either of them would work. Um, and it'd be fun. Yeah. And they're, they're going to have to learn how to do that sort of thing on TV for Legends of tomorrow because Adam basically shrinks. So maybe, you know, the, the technology and the budgets and the schedule will all line up and we'll get the wasp on Netflix. Maybe, maybe. Um, do you want to talk about some of the Netflix stuff? Uh, is that something you can talk about on air? Um, uh, maybe. Let me see what I could talk about. Uh, I w- the, vaguely, they want to do it about every six months. So if I had to guess, that would be why I'd put Jessica Jones sort of towards the middle end of October, uh, which would then put um, Daredevil Season 2 around next spring. Uh, and get it out of the way before they have to uh, do Captain America Civil War in May. Um, And then Luke Cage would be the fall series. And then after that, I don't think even Marvel knows what the next series would be. Uh, The TCA, the Television Critics Association, where we've been getting all this new information from Netflix, uh, they said that Basically, um, any character that performs well can get another season and that they are willing to maybe think about doing movies with these characters uh, before the Defenders. So I don't know if Iron Fist is going to get his own series or if Luke Cage is going to transform into more heroes for hire series or if uh the punisher might get his own uh you know like single spin-off series that all that stuff is possible at this point because they're sort of playing it by ear but if they're doing one show every six months you could definitely know that the one that's in production is going to be up next and daredevil season two is in production right now so that's probably we're going to get that before luke cage right um would you be disappointed if they didn't do an iron fist series oh no i think the character is gonna show up but like if you suddenly realize that your netflix shows aren't gonna have room for a dude to jet off to a imaginary city in tibet for a little while then uh you know include him in somebody else's story like we're gonna see luke cage first and jessica jones and i think no harm no foul do we need another white guy doing like vague Orientalism uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe after Benedict Cumberbatch clears that hurdle? Probably not. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Well, that just shows my ignorance because I thought Iron Fist was Asian American. He's a oh, white guy. Danny Rand, the actual Iron Fist, is a white dude. Okay. Well, but he, lear- he learns how to focus his chi because he understands Amer- uh, Asian culture. But yeah, okay. You know. Um. 
then never mind. Because I was I was about to be all like, well, of course the Asian dude series doesn't go forward. But yeah, if it's if it's a white dude doing Orientalism, then I I'm with you. We don't need that. Well, already, um, yeah, they, they that little tidbit came out this week that Tilda Swinton hasn't decided if she's playing the ancient one as a man or a woman. Yeah, yet. I'm like, oh man, Doctor Strange is going to be so weird. That's my favorite story of the week, to be honest with you. I love that story. Um, all right, so a couple zoom through a couple things really quickly. Um, Stephen Amell uh, of Arrow fame just came out slamming the goatee uh, that that uh, his character has in the comic, saying he's never slamming is a terrible word. I take it back. That's an awful headline word. Throwing, uh, throwing shade at goatees. <laughs> throwing shade at this is um, yeah, WWE <laughs> star Stephen Amell. <laughs> Um, so I, I, I take that back, but, but he, he had some harsh words to say about the goatee, the famous goatee, um, which is sort of, it, it looks like, I don't know, it's, it's like a nod to Errol Flynn. I like that goatee. A friend of mine has similar facial hair. I support him in all his endeavors. So I think the goatee did not get a fair shake in this Stephen Amell, uh, tossed off tweet that he had. So. Um, I will say that uh, really quickly. Also, uh, you know, in case you missed it, Ryan Reynolds had, you know, uh, Hugh Jackman took to Twitter to say to seemingly crowdsource the plot of the old man Logan uh, new Wolverine movie, which is hilarious. Uh, I, you know, whether or not that's just like a that's not social how movies media work, stunt. Hugh Jackman, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he didn't say. This is, this will be your, the best idea will be the plot. He was just like, send me your ideas and I'll read as many as I can. So, you know, he didn't really crowdsource the plot of his new movie, but, uh, you know, it was kind of funny. But Ryan Reynolds, who is playing Deadpool, uh, pitched, not sure if it's been done, but what if Logan and Deadpool enlist in the Navy's elite Top Gun program? Hashtag volleyball. Um, and now I think we'll all be disappointed if that's not what the new Wolverine movie is. So the, the, the new and last Wolverine movie. Um, and zipping over to the fact that Constance Zimmer was just announced as a major antagonist for the next season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Constance Zimmer killed it on Unreal this season on Lifetime if you haven't been watching that. And I've been a long time been a fan of Constance Zimmer. She's also great on House of Cards. Um, so she will be some sort of antagonist to Coulson, which is fantastic casting. So What are they playing any... this year? What? Inhumans? Inhumans and Hydra? We'll Maybe. See. I don't know. Uh, all I know is that um, oh god, what's her name? The lead actress in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Daisy. Yeah. Uh, not Ridley. That's Star. I've been putting my Star Wars characters' names in other people's things. Uh, Chloe Bennett. Chloe, Chloe Bennett. Bennett. Chloe Bennett. Thank you, Brain. Uh, Chloe Bennett cut off her hair to look more like Daisy. Go. So yes. and made a big deal of it. So there you go. Daisy will have shorter hair. Constance Zimmer will be there. Agents of Shield season three. Secret Warriors. <laughs> Secret Warriors. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Um. And then before we get into like our last big discussion before we get to emails, I did want to say that um, having read the Young Avengers, Young Avengers Volume 2 on people's suggestion, and this uh, series featured Hulkling, Mm -hmm. uh, Wiccan, Mm -hmm. Kate Bishop, I'm doing this all from memory, Miss America, uh, Young Loki, and oh god, what's his name? Um, this guy from space. Namor? No, is that right? Namor? 
No, Namor would not be in space. Uh, and then she called him like something boy, like Marvel boy, maybe. Anyway, Ugh. Young Avengers. Here's what I'll say about Young Avengers. <laughs> I wish they more of them were memorable. Uh oh, oh no, and then there were two more. Oh god. Anyway. That's it how was I feel about fun. the There were teens. Too. I mean the concept was fun. There were teens, like parents of the world have been like brainwashed by this gooey alien from another dimension, blah blah blah. Um But it's the gayest comic I've ever read. And I say that in a good way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was like super duper gay. The new version of gay. Yeah. Not the and, 90s version of yeah, gay. Yeah. Not that so gay, but you know, that's so gay. Not the Nirvana hey. version of gay. <laughs> um, not the White House version of gay. <laughs> and yeah, there was a lot of, of, uh, you know, super boys kissing, uh, and, and women on the, all over the place on the Kinsey scale and, and all this stuff. So it was really interesting to me and, um, great and interesting. But I will say that, like, I was ready to take a little bit of a break from the capes after reading a couple, you know, cape-based capers in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the, the um, I don't know, the amount of mythology gets kind of exhausting. Yeah. You know, um, dealing dealing for the first time with a lot of, like, those footnotes of, like, see this issue as to why this person's doing this. Um, yeah. So it's good to mix it up. I, I generally in the past haven't been reading Cape comics. And so this is, I think a balance is good, I guess. Yeah. And then sometimes those things are also unimportant. It depends on how old whatever right. you're reading are and how obsessed we were with intercontinuity at that time in uh, comics publishing. But yeah. It, it, you know, you always have six gun gorilla to get to, which is amazing. <gasps> oh yeah. Okay. That's a one off. I'll get there. Um, Marvel Boy, Novar. What did I say? Namor? Namor, yeah. And it's Novar. So I think I should get partial credit for that. Uh, see, the thing is, you said Namor is from space. Okay. Like, anybody who knows who Namor is it's knows he's from the, the ocean, yeah, right? So I know that. Like okay, sorry. You went one step too far <laughs> to earn credit. So there's Prodigy, Speed, Kid Loki, Miss America, Marvel Boy, um, Etc. Okay. So moving on. This is like our big convers- weird like I- I- conversation we want to have. Or Dave this is Dave's idea. I'm I'm laying this on you. What do you want to talk about, Dave? Oh, there's been a lot of uh discussion amongst uh film blogging or journalism or writing about uh superhero movie news people in the past few weeks. I guess since uh, the dissolve a website that was owned by Pitchfork Media that covered film uh, shut down basically because they couldn't make their... (laughs) Yes, that joke was super popular when this happened. Sorry, okay. Um, A lot of people I really like and respect uh, wrote for that site, so I regret that joke mostly for its unoriginality, but also because I I like the people at the Dissolve. And, And the fact that their site folded... As you say, it's just seems, seemingly yeah because the they could seems make to say something work. yeah yeah, um, which is just uh, 
They wrote very specifically long-form pieces about uh, movies, not always the new things that were coming out, or definitely not always things in production. Uh, but, you know, classic movies or dialogues between classic movies and new movies. A lot of great work uh, that is not being put out anymore. And uh, it sort of started this whole conversation about how so much uh, what we would consider fan movie blogging has become about scoops or talking about the ridiculous Marvel or Star Wars or DC slates that have been scheduled into the 2020s and like really how much, how helpful is that conversation? I think a lot of this also might be coming from, um, you know, Ant-Man doing pretty consistently well at the box office, but uh, a whole bunch of its coverage focusing on how Peyton Reed, you know, took it from uh, Edgar Wright and trying to suss out like we did on our podcast you know, which part th- thing was from uh, which director or which group of writers uh, when they, uh, I guess the people who would review film more as like here as a product meant to be reviewed on its own would say that none of that mattered and it was all sort of bullshit discussion. Furthermore, by the discovery of a Twitter account that may or may not be tweeting uh, close-ups of props from the uh, Captain America Civil War set, like way too close up to tell what anything is and it's like, you know, you see two gold embossed A's and people are like, it's the Slovaka Accords or whatever, whatever the name of their fake Eastern European company is. And uh, the people have been wondering if this sort of thing is uh, worth discussing or if it's all just uh, pointless noise. And I would like to hear from you guys because I've been hearing a lot from people who are either forced or choose to do this for a living. Um Right. And I don't think, I think I'm providing a service to not those people, uh, which is, you know, I posted uh, this week uh, something I found on Imager through Reddit that somebody tweeted at me that's like a cast supposedly for the new Spider-Man movie. And I have no idea how authentic it is, but it seemed worth having that discussion on a Wednesday because everybody has been, you know, asking for more information about Spider-Man that I don't have and I'm not sure it exists. And like, all we really know is that they shot something for Captain America Civil War. So it's like, why if we're going to want to talk about Spider-Man, there's only a set number of things we could talk about. And I want to make sure from our listeners that are like comic books and comic adjacent news, if like this sort of coverage is worth it. Because the reality is when we do things like, deep dives on you know the killing joke or you know five things drawn by jack kirby that is better than the words (laughs) that you know go with along with them those things just don't uh, do as well in terms of uh, discussion they generate or clicks they get Um, if that is something more that we want uh, i imagine we would also get more questions uh, like that on this podcast and sometimes we do but it seems to be like a healthy mix that we're okay with the scoop culture. I just want to make sure and let the listeners know they could uh, let us know if we're we're doing anything wrong because I I feel like we're okay. I feel like, you know, talking about these things is interesting because the process of all of it is interesting and much like, you know, comics is such a reactive medium because it's dealing with uh, low purchasing numbers and uh, very small teams. Movies are such a huge thing of multiple cogs and wheels that I don't think we're doing a disservice by analyzing the workings of those while it's happening. 
Well, I think what a lot, a big part of this, and, and once again, this might be like an inside baseball conversation that people aren't interested in hearing, but, um, you know, the thing you and I like to talk about a lot is, is adaptation, right? Right. And so what we're dealing with here in comic book movies, and then also this bleeds over into television with the two biggest shows on TV right now being Game of Thrones and Walking Dead, both of which are adapted from another source. Um, and so spoiler culture sort of changes a little bit because, you know, if you're like, um, ooh, spoiler alert, next season on Castle, they're going to do this. And I'm like, well, I, I don't give a shit about a story that I haven't seen yet on Castle. So that spoiler scoop doesn't really mean that much to me. Right. But if you're like, hey, Jon Snow was coming back and give, I mean, like, that is different. You know, because there are these stories that are lived in that we've known that we've experienced. And so we have a vested interest in like, oh, my God, what does this mean? What does it mean if Emma Stone puts on, you know, this purple coat? Okay, it means, you know, she's going to die in this movie. And that's a story we know and a story we're invested in. And so it, it, it changes the stakes on scoop culture and spoiler culture and all of that. And what it has done, um, for better or for worse, is turned a lot of us into like amateur detectives. I, I get – I mean, you know, your realm is like Star Wars and, and Spider-Man and other comic book news. And for me, obviously, it's Game of Thrones and I get like chills. Not chills. No, I get like – um my pulse races if I feel like I've figured something out, if I've put things together enough – if, um, you know, to be able to accurately talk about what's coming up on Game of Thrones and why that's interesting and exciting and important. And, you know, cynically, you could say it's about page views because certainly that sort of stuff does get page views. But also, I find it really fun. But I don't want it to be all that we do. Right. And uh, that's what you were saying. Is that a good balance of of talking about themes and... and um representation and, and and all sorts of stuff uh, balanced with, okay, let's overanalyze this close-up of what might be a snippet of Spider-Man's costume or something like that, you know? Um, I it's think it's like, no, no uh, I, 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 it would be hard to put me in a position where I'm arguing against more information, but I think it also feels like, uh, you know, the reason I feel the way about spoilers that I do is because the internet is, I, I think Dan Harmon called it in an interview last week, like an infinite render farm where like it's hard <laughs> to keep plot secrets because we're going to try to guess everything and there's yeah. no end to our want to engage with it. So we're literally going to guess everything. If we know about a movie two years before it comes out, we're going to guess everything. Like you and I could sit down and talk through every possible thing they could do about Wonder Woman and we'll end up being right about like this weird Frankenstein amalgamation of all our theories just because that's what everybody's doing. But we will eventually have a movie that we get to sit down and talk about as a singular work of art. And as long as those two things, I don't know, it's hard. I, I think it's impossible for one to ruin the other, but uh, because that's like why you have interesting documentaries about failed movies, like <laughs> Terry Gilliam trying to make, uh, you know, uh, Man of La Mancha or uh, the recent one that's on Netflix about how uh, Island of Dr. Moreau got screwed up. Yeah. It's like those, uh, the process and the product, uh, if we don't allow the director control over something really after he's declared it finished, 
then I, I think it's like the process also while we're living it we could be part of it too well i mean i i, I agree with you with the word ruin i don't think a spoiler has ever ruined a story for anyone i think it's maybe changed your experience you know i've certainly had things spoiled for me that i wish i hadn't had spoiled for me and i wish that i had been able to watch it without knowing um because i do think it's a different experience and and in my case sometimes uh an experience i relish more um i miss growing up like i used to watch so many movies on tv and you know before the age of even like digital cable where there would be like a, a description of the movie that you were watching if you hit a button mm-hmm. it was just like what was on and right. you didn't maybe even know what it was called and you just caught it and you're like why is tom hanks dressed like link from the video game and then like you know you're like what is this movie and then you tell your friend about it the next day they're like that's a legend you've never heard of legend you're a weirdo and then you're like wow i just watched legend i had no idea that tom that tom cruise i think i said hanks earlier that tom cruise made this movie you know or or i watched a lot of old movies on on amc on on american movie classics and like i had no idea what any of those movies were about and i would just watch them and be delighted by the story that i knew nothing about so there is something to be said for that yeah and and i think i would have to change my profession and stop reading the internet the way i do in order to engage and move you know stop watching previews <laughs> because previews spoil everything now stop reading the internet the way that i do and maybe then i might be surprised by a movie i mean and that's why i like going to i'm sorry if we're like too far off track of comic books but like that's why I like going to film festivals because you go to a film festival and you see a movie, you know, we're certainly not going to see one of the major Marvel movies, but you're going to see a movie maybe that is going to be a big release, but they haven't had time to like get all that stuff out there yet. And so you go see, you know, Amy Schumer's train wreck without any context, just your own. And then you decide for yourself. And then later you hear the narrative around it is like, you know, train wreck has this problem and and then that taints your whole view going in i don't know i mean and the cool thing is that now we're getting to the point where you could do this on uh, netflix or vod or all these streaming services that are just like throwing all these movies on that like you've never heard of because they got sold at like the kentucky film festival to like a partner that bundled it and sold it to netflix along with the you know it happened last night so all of a sudden you have this little independent like whatever film that's uh, accessible to people everywhere. So I think like stumbling across that surprise is more difficult because you want it to align with your passion. Like I would love to be surprised by a comic book movie, but because I love comic book movies so much, I'm like always trying to learn about it. But I like for like something like horror movies, I have other friends that are just like, just watch this. And I'll be like, well, if they say it's good, then they must not want to tell me anything else. And I, you know, can find surprises there. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's hard to make it the same thing, but that's just because I want to be thinking about, you know, Star Wars all the time. And uh, there's only (laughs) so much Star Wars to think about. Um, all right. So that's, that's the, the scoop culture conversation, right? Yeah. I but I am in- opinions. I, I am interested to hear from our listeners. Not, I mean, you know, Dave wants you to tell us if we're doing things wrong. I don't necessarily want you to tell us if we're doing things wrong, but just your thoughts and like what interests you about these, you know, 
things and or does it interest you or would you rather just come at it without any of these little bits of information leaking in? I'm going to spoil something from Ant-Man for a second. So, uh, you know, fast forward really quickly on your, <laughs> on your app if you haven't seen Ant-Man yet. But I was listening to the rest of that Empire podcast episode about Ant-Man really quickly and they said that someone on the set of Ant-Man had tweeted out a photo of Michael Douglas and his stuntman with blood right over the heart area as a photo, the, a set photo that came out a long time ago, which basically spoils like a big moment, like a big moment in Ant-Man was sort of just blithely put up on the internet by someone who worked on the film. And so, I mean, that's a kind of spoiler thing that I just feel is easily preventable, right? Well, here's the thing is they threw it up there and we noticed, but everybody who had read the earlier Edgar Wright draft in which Hank Pym does die just uh, assume that that was going to be part of the movie uh, as uh, conceptualized. So it goes both ways. Like, you could unlearn yourself out of being spoiled. You know, you could wonder why Benjamin Stark is in the previously on for the last episode of uh, <laughs> the season of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the culture is learning back at us, which makes me feel even more that we're, like, on the right track. Maybe. That's a good point. Um, how exhausting for them, then, to, um, uh, you know, have to, like, not only make their film, but then also, like, zig and zag around, like, double double fooling us about spoilers. Oh, I, mean, I feel bad about that if there weren't entire careers that are dedicated to being that person. Yeah, Those are the people so. that you and I deal with all the time. That's their job. It's, it's crazy. Okay. Oh, Michael Douglas shared that photo. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Of him with his his uh, uh, stunt I guess, double. Well, I guess you can't uh, <laughs> you can't tell him he's doing it wrong. They only signed him to one uh, movie for the same reason: is that when he signed on, he was supposed to die, and now they're like, "Oops." What, Pete, what? Well, Peyton Reed says only different, but I don't know if he has to toe the company line. But oh. he just said that it was like a debate that they weren't sure what they wanted to do with Hank Pym. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, but he could they, just be saying whatever he needs to say to th- say it. Well, it would be really weird for Marvel to not contract Michael Douglas out for a thousand films when they're doing like they have. They made Samuel Jackson sign a nine film contract. Yeah. Why not? Anyway, but it will. That'll all shake out when Kevin Feige releases his big fu book when he retires. It's going to be great. I'm excited. I'm excited for that. I'm also, uh, I don't know if I've even told you this. I'm going to D23 this year. Oh, so crap. I will be on the ground for some Star Wars and Marvel announcements. Uh, but, you know, or you can just read Twitter because Twitter will be there as well. So it's not like I will be privy to anything uh, that's not everywhere in five seconds. But, you know, um, anyway. Yeah. Well, you should check out the Periscope policy before you go because otherwise you could just make things really easy on me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll break rules for you. Um, okay, so we're going to get into, we just have a couple emails this week. Uh, this first and most important one is from <laughs> Pat from Maryland. <laughs> and it's most important because he backs me up on uh, my assessment of Clark Kent being a nerd. Um, you know, so Dave sort of disagreed with me. 
And here's here's a relevant part from Pat's email where he says, if we consider Christopher Reeves' portrayal of Clark Kent nerdy, then Joanna is right to call Clark Kent in general a nerd since Reeves' performance and interpretation of the character was following how Clark Kent chose to portray himself in his non-super identity. That portrayal had been consistent for years, if not decades. In particular, the character of Clark Kent was often the target of meathead frat boy sportscaster Steve Lombard, whose pranks would often misfire with karmic, karmic appropriateness wish fulfillment of nerds everywhere. I'm not sure when the Superman mythos chose to portray Clark Kent as the kind of beta male character. I don't know if I'm using that term correctly, but even the Adventures of Superman television show with George Reeves had the implication that Clark Kent was not an alpha male character by describing him not as an ace reporter, but as a mild-mannered reporter. In that era, the Milk Toast character was sort of a nerd analog, but not really the same thing. I think it's fair to say that the arguably nerdy Clark Kent per- persona is an act Kent is putting on to differentiate himself from his more capable super, per- super persona, whereas Peter Parker is just being who he is. Dave, your feeble rebuttal. Oh, it's like a, a Venn diagram or a square and a rectangle. It's like <laughs> mild mannered comes first, and nerd could be on top of that, but it's mild mannered. It's the opposite of Superman. It's not necessarily a nerd. I stick by what I said last week. Is this sort of like a square is... and a rhombus where like not all mild mannered people are nerds, but they can't be? I don't know. I, I, I... yeah, rectangle. A square and a rhombus, I guess they're technically close together, but at least the rectangle has four right angles as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I should not have brought geometry into this. (laughs) No, if you want to. That's cool. I I was told there would be no math on this. Um. (laughs) But yeah, no, I think it's like that sort of thing. Um, I think the nerd is more interesting, but like also I've met not mild-mannered nerds. The important thing, as I think I said last week, is that he's opposite of Superman. And Superman is all-American, square-jawed, muckety-muck. And so Clark Kent just has to be whatever is not All American Square John Muckety Muck. I wish that were the tagline on like Henry Cavill posters. (laughs) We don't use Muckety Muck uh, nearly enough. Uh, Whereas Clark Kent is a round jawed um, uh, nobody. Rube. So and so. (laughs) So and so. A Ruby so and so. Okay. Hot off the trolley. Um, this next uh, email comes from Sean. Is either Huff or Ho? I'm not sure. Probably Huff. Um, it's a recommendation, and he says, "Hey guys, I just wanted to recommend to you guys the comic Witches, which is with a Y instead of an I. I don't call it being talked about on the podcast before, but it's one of the best horror comics I've ever read. The story is steeped in some great fantasy mythology, and the art by Jock is batshit insane. Also, I'm sorry to think that Scott Snyder can do no wrong." Uh, I haven't checked it out yet, but we th- we just thought we would toss in some of these recommendations from time to time. Um, I'm not necessarily co-signing this recommendation, but I put witches on my list. So if you're looking for a horror comic to put on your list, maybe you want to think about that one. I'm also coming about to think that Scott Snyder can do no wrong, by the way. The what, good what Snyder, else? I call him. What Remind me what the good Snyder is responsible for. Oh, all the new Batman. <clears throat> I'm sorry, my voice cracks. I'm so excited. All the new, <laughs> the, the, all the post new 52 Batman, including the awesome run on Endgame and whatever's happening now, uh, after your We Are Robin, whatnot. He's like, uh, he's the point man on all the Bat universe. Um, excellent. Uh, so that is a recommendation tacitly from Dave and emphatically from listener Sean. Um, and then 
Um, this one, this question basically, I mean, this question is from Nick and he basically asks whether or not he should check out, um, the Kelly Sue DeConnick Captain Marvel or the G. Willow Wilson, um, Miss Marvel. The trade paperbacks for both. So, uh, we're talking about the higher, further, faster, more Captain Marvel and the no normal, uh, Camilla Khan book. Okay, so I've not read the Kamala Khan book. I have read some of um, Kelly Sue DeConnick's Captain Marvel. I loved it. And I think if you're looking for something that is, well, Dave will have better information on this, but if you're looking for something that's going to, you know, get you prepped for a Captain Marvel movie in 2050 or whenever we get it, uh, you know, the Kelly Sue DeConnick uh, is where you're going to want to look more than, you know, Miss Marvel because that's a different character. We're going to get Carol Danvers. We're not going to get Kamala Khan, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that is my recommendation, Dave. What are maybe, your thoughts? maybe. We don't know what the other mystery ABC show is yet. We might get Kamala Khan before we get – anyway, not important yet. Um, so uh, Nick from Australia said uh, – uh, which for which one would be better for a novice who doesn't really know anything about these characters? Uh, both of these uh, trade paperbacks uh, take place in the run directly after the Marvel Infinity crossover event. The Captain Marvel plot directly uh, involves uh, fallout from that uh, event, and Miss um, Marvel sort of does in the sense that uh, the Terrigen Mists have been released. But if you're looking for like a good introduction to the characters, I would go with the Jewelis and Miss Marvel Volume One, No Normal, just because Captain Marvel, uh, the story is a bit more rich if you know where these planetary refugees she deals with are from, and if you know about uh, Star Lord's father in the comics, and uh, that sort of his relationship to the Marvel Comics galaxy. Um, uh, it, Carol Danvers is great and uh, she wants to go into space to discover herself and brings her cat. So there's enough to like, like it and not know <laughs> what's going on. But uh, if you want to, I think, have the full enjoyment, Miss um, Marvel Volume 1 is great. And I think includes the issue where Wolverine shows up, which is just great because she, fan- uh, Kamala Khan fangirls out. And uh, that's something that Captain Marvel is just too strong to do. Yeah, but she sasses Spider Man. Oh yeah, I mean, she and did. Captain America. So I mean, she's full of sass. Yeah, but uh, she, and she I, takes her cat into space. So well, that's um, not going to win any points with me, but that makes her relatable. <laughs> so so the verdict here is split. It's I mean they're both good, but if you're gonna if Nick specifically wants to pick one that's good for a beginner, I would go with Miss Marvel Volume One before uh, Captain Marvel Volume One. Right. I mean, between us, it's split. You're say you're voting for Kamala, and I'm voting for Carol. Well, I've read them both, so I feel like mine should be weighted. Um, but cats in space, so you know you don't get so. credit just for like having a cat. <laughs> um, that's incorrect. Cats in space. Okay, uh, is there anything else we want to talk about comic book wise this week? No, I want to talk about the Red Lantern, who's a cat, but not not this week. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Thor's? No. <laughs> oh, Thor's is fun. They're still doing. Uh, they do like a uh, like an Irish funeral from the wire, but for Thor's, uh, for um, I'm gonna say Beta Ray Bill, because who cares? Like, he, just because he died in one version of Battle World doesn't mean he's dead across everything. But yeah, once again, uh, the Marvel Battle World uh, books 
seem to have nothing to do with where we're going to end up. So if you like, you know, Thor's number one and like detectives, but uh, Thor's instead of cops, uh, Thor's two delivers more on that. And I will say to, you know, close out and distill what I said before, if you're going to read any comic that I read this week that you haven't read, make it Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to read a comic to get yourself excited about a TV show, read Alias. And if you want to read a comic because you want to be part of this conversation that's going on that's controversial, read The Killing Joke. Um, I th- would say that both of those first two uh, are now going to be super accessible to you on your Marvel Unlimited subscription. Mm-hmm. You want to jump off into that. And then um, the Killing Joke's gonna probably jump in and out of sales depending on what sort of digital uh, platform you use because of this uh, animated m- news. But uh, also, the, lots of lots of versions, and it's really short, so you should probably buy a physical version if you end up really liking it. Yeah, actually, I did want to talk about that because the the digital version that I got uh, did not have. I you know I believe they're supposed to be like at least one, if not several black pages at the end, right? That's part of this whole conversation of what happens between the Joker and Batman, right? Uh, yeah, there's some, the, I believe that there was a couple of black pages before the author uh, notes or the ledger, whatever yeah. they call it. My digital version that I got did not have that. So I was confused because I was ready for it and it wasn't there. So yeah, I don't know. I, I want to like, advocate people steal things but since this is like old money and nobody's gonna make the killing joke unprofitable you could certainly try it's super available to for like free download if you want to you know test the waters but not feel like you morally supported something Mm -hmm. without reading it in this case i feel it's okay but you know me i'm very case by case on piracy (laughs) what would the joker do okay um that's it for us Dave, where can people find your work? Uh, you can find me at geek.com, Forbes.com, Latino-Review.com. I write the, on those three sites and then all the podcasts at FightingInTheWarRoom.com and on Twitter at DA70. How convenient that all your podcasts are in one place. Uh, I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com, sometimes talking about comic book scoops. Uh, or you can listen to my podcast, The Station Agent. Or you can listen to this podcast. Or you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Question. Mm. Is there some sort of Cast of Kings Season 1 something happening? <laughs> yes. Uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't already heard, we are going to do a Cast of Kings Game of Thrones Season 1 rewatch over on the Cast of Kings podcast. And we're going to do a book club along with it. So we're going to be reading the first book. That means Dave Chen, my co-host, is going to be reading. And if you're listening to this and it's Friday, then this is the last day you can get a t-shirt, either a Storm of Spoilers or a Cast of Kings t-shirt. So you should press pause and go scurry off and buy one if you haven't already dave looks really good in his you would look really good in yours i get i get a paycheck on friday so i'm gonna buy more t-shirts are you (laughs) that's how how good they are they are um all right anything else no that's, that's good 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 issue good issue we'll see you next time